So in our series, we are now at the ninth week, um, really tenth if you count the first that we called really the Zeroth. Um, and that was about how Christ is both the son of David, that is, he is, he is the Messiah, and he is also Yahweh. Um, so he's both the Lord and Christ, that when the apostles used that term, the Lord Jesus Christ, we saw how the first, the first, uh, the first mention of that was a defense from Peter in, in Acts 2. And so we've been looking week by week at different persons, but the last few weeks we've been looking at certain objects or certain elements in the stories that, that looked at Christ. Um, we didn't cover, although it, it could have been covered in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, the lamb that was slain to cover their nakedness, that was a picture forward to Christ. We didn't cover that one, but we covered how Adam was a picture of Christ, and he was actually the antithesis, or that is Jesus was coming to undo what Adam had done. He was coming to perfectly obey where Adam had disobeyed. And so the last two weeks we've been looking at, um, in the story, we, we looked at uh, how Jesus was the Passover lamb, and this week we're going to be looking at how Jesus is the bread from heaven. We've been relying on John the Baptist's revelations and testimony about Jesus in the book of John, and we're going to continue to work in the book of John. Last week we were in Exodus 3 and John 6, and today we're, or sorry, John 5, and today we're in Exodus 16 and John 6, and Jesus specifically mentions this passage, and he gives fulfillment to what this was all about. And so, um, so there's there is really in a in these stories a spiritual allegory that is a a story that looks on the outside to be something very concrete but it also is somewhat mysterious and this is a true real historical event that God used to train his people and to provide an example for us last week we saw how Paul in the book of Corinthians said that these things happened in the wilderness as an example for us that we should not uh, be rebellious and remain in sin. And so in the midst of all of this, we're looking at how the New Testament trains us to see Christ in the Old Testament. So my, my, my point this morning is that we are all hungry for something. You and I are hungry for something, and we are hungry for something every day, and we go from different things throughout our day to to try and fulfill that need, to meet that need in some way, whether it be social investments of time on Facebook or Twitter or hanging out with friends or drinking at parties or sex or workaholism or money, greed, envy, power, whatever we are pursuing more than Christ, we're subtly... Uh, attempting to have that fulfill a deep spiritual need that we all have. And so what really are we hungry for if those things don't satisfy? In this passage, the Israelites have come out of Egypt, and they begin to grumble against Moses, and they complain and say, would that we have died by the Lord's hand. Now, we, we looked really briefly at the different plagues that were released against Egypt, and that's an amazing thing to want. To, to to have been in the wilderness for only a short time uh, and and yet to be complaining and saying that we wish we were killed by the angel of, of the Lord or, or that we would have died during the first, you know, locust plague or 
the plague of the gnats. To to want or to desire that is a terrible thing. And so these Israelites who are are really, really quickly forgetting the Lord's salvation. And this is a parallel to us. We too, when we come to Christ, we leave sins, but very soon we start to grumble against the Lord and we start to desire those old sins that for a time were somewhat satisfying to us, whether it was, you know, lust or or pornography or drugs or or any number of things, jealousies, envies, receiving glory from men, any of those things that we used to do before we came to Christ, after we after we come to him, we begin to want those old things to kind of provide the pleasure that that comes in the in the mystery of iniquity. And so when we come to Christ, we still want these old pots of meat. Now, just to be clear, the Bible is not against eating meat. This is really not a very good translation in the New American Standard. Other translations say pots of flesh or flesh pots, and and, uh, the prophets have a, a very similar phrase. They talk about broken cisterns. That is, things that people go to, that they set up, idols of of some sort, that that they set up to go and have their spiritual needs met. But these for us were a sort of spiritual food at the time, but they weren't real true food. It was old food. It was food that made us die. It was food that poisoned us. And Christ offers us true food. In Exodus 16, 4, the the Israelites are commanded to gather a day's portion every day. And every single day, you and I both need a greater revelation and understanding of who Jesus is specifically as a soul-satisfying source of life. In verse 17, we see that some gathered much and some gathered a little. There is a measure of grace that is given to each one of us, and some of us are more hungry for a revelation of Jesus, and others of us are younger in the faith, or or we've come into a time where the Lord's increased responsibilities on us, where we don't have the ability to gather as much day by day. But no matter how much you gather, it will not be wasted. God will never waste the revelation that you get of Christ. It'll be used in some some way. This is this is demonstrated in verse 18 when it says, he who gathered had no excess. As in, you will never gather more than what you need. And he who gathered little had no lack. God will provide a way for you to gain a greater revelation of Christ as you seek him out. No matter how uh, ignorant you think you may be, no matter how uh, how much you have, you feel you need to learn. God is faithful that if you come to him, come to his word, and you really desire to fellowship with him, he will let you eat of this, the food that he gives. God will use everything that you gain of a revelation of Christ, whether it's for a friend or for a future season, none of it will go to excess. And so there, there is an idea here that we're gathering this spiritual food, but some of us in our Christian walk, we tend to rest on old revelation. That is, we become we become familiar with how to gather this food, and we become we become complacent with what we know of God. And this is this is warned against, but in this passage, in verse twenty, it says, "And it bred worms and became foul." It's actually the case that if you rest on your past successes in God, it will become a source of poison to you spiritually. 
And if you do not maintain this attitude of a daily need for, for a greater revelation and understanding of Jesus, then you'll, your food source will run out. And when you go to eat of it, you'll find out that it's actually spoiled and it needs to be thrown out. So now that we've talked about the symbols with, in Exodus, how do we get this true food? What is, is this true food all about? And um, how are we to understand what this means in the light of being a Christian? Well, I believe that John 6 is the most explicit um, unfolding of what it means for a believer in Christ to make use of this story, how Jesus is the bread from heaven. In John 6, just to provide you some background, it describes Jesus as having come and he feeds 5,000 men. And it it says that there's 5,000 men and there's women and children also. Many people think that it was just feeding the 5,000. And yeah, there were 5,000 men, but you know, they, they also had their women and their children. So it was a, a very great multitude of people. And this is to be seen as uh, Moses in a very similar way fed the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus here is, is feeding them. There's no food around. They're kind of out away from the city. They don't have an ability to go buy food. So Jesus prepares this uh, miracle and he takes the loaves and the fishes. We're all very familiar with the story, I'm sure. He multiplies it and distributes it among the people. Well, after the end of that day, Jesus goes up to a mountain. The disciples are sent over across the sea, and the crowd starts to follow Jesus because they realize that this is a kingly activity, that this is Jesus demonstrating that he is the son of David, that he is, this is a very kingly function that Jesus has just done by, by providing for the people when they had need, Jesus was demonstrating his, his claim to be king. And so they come and they're, they're coming after Jesus and they want, it says they, they're coming to take him and make him king by force. Yet he, he runs away from them and in the midst of them following, he kind of, he confronts them and they're beginning to follow after Jesus. They're looking for him, and he, he explains why they're really there. He makes a connection between true physical food and that being somewhat okay. It's not bad. Jesus isn't saying stop eating. But he says that there is a greater, truer, more real spiritual food. And while that some some of you may think that sounds Gnostic, it's actually the case that Jesus says that it is the true food, that the food that you and I eat day to day in our fellowship times is to serve as a reminder of the real true spiritual food that is Jesus. So we're going to read through John 6, and I'll, I'll comment on, on the verses. And at the end here, I want us to remember in the midst of this that Jesus is offering himself not only through this teaching, but also through the communion that we're going to take together. In John 6, 26, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father has sent his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? So, so that question might seem a little odd. Jesus is talking about food. They say, what, do we, what kind of work do we have to do? Well, Jesus had just told them 
to not work for the food that perishes, but to work for the food that lasts forever. And they, hearing him, they, they say, well, if you're telling us to work for the food that perishes, but we're working for food that, or sorry, if you, if you tell us to work for food that doesn't perish, and we are working for food that perishes, how do we do this kind of work? What is this spiritual work that we have to do? In verse 29, he provides an answer. It says, Jesus answered and said, that, said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for, for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, you got to remember that they had just, they had just seen 5,000 people fed. They were, this was the same group of people the day before who had just seen 5,000 plus, 5,000 men plus their women and children fed by a small child's breakfast. You, you might think of a lunchable size source of food. I mean, this, this, wasn't, uh, this wasn't bass. Uh, this wasn't Atlantic salmon. Th- these were tiny Galilean fish. They were small, tiny fish. They weren't probably very large. It was enough for a boy to eat, not Victor. Uh, and so, so here they had just seen this miracle take place the day before. He tells them to believe in him who the Father has sent, and then they ask him, how do we know you were sent by the Father? They immediately respond in unbelief after just seeing Jesus perform a miracle and then claim to be deity. In verse 30, they, they question Jesus's existence as the one who came down from heaven. Jesus said in verse 27, for on him, that is the son of man, the father God has set his seal. That means Jesus is the expected fulfillment of what the father God was doing with the people of Israel. In verse 31, they, the, the crowd begins to remember and kind of see where Jesus is going and, and they almost help him along. Of course, they were being, you know, helped by God sovereignly. God was working through them to, to unfold this teaching. In verse 31, the people ask, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And so here, Jesus, this is, this is not a, to us, it may seem like a very subtle thing, but Jesus is saying he was the thing that came down from heaven. And he's going to explicitly say that in a few minutes. Although earlier he said, I'm the one that the father has sent. Father being above, and I've come, I've come down to you. So in verse 31, this, this crowd says that uh, we're trusting in that God has already provided for us time and again. In verse 32, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. So Jesus is saying that even though Moses was leading you at the time, the father was still leading Moses. And it wasn't Moses' doing and providing for you. It was God. And God is not only providing for you in the manna, but that was just a sign of what is to come. Verse 33, Jesus begins to really lay it out explicitly. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. 
Now, it's clear that Jesus is not talking about physical food. You and I both feast on Christ. We adore Christ. We love Christ. And yet, I am sure that probably later through this week, I will go to Burger King and I will get a Whopper. But in the midst of going and getting physical food, I understand, or I'm trying to, by the Lord's help, that it is not the thing that satisfies. Jesus says in verse 35 that if you come to me, if you believe in me, you will never hunger and you will never thirst. And he, what he's saying is you have spiritual needs. You have spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst, and I am the thing that satisfies. And if you come to me, I will provide for you. In verse 36, Jesus is rebuking their unbelief. He says, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They just had questioned him just a minute ago about, uh, about who he was as the one coming down from heaven. But Jesus assures them, and in the midst of their unbelief, he, he tells them, both the most comforting and, at the same time, scary words, uh, probably in this chapter. In verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, in, in the midst of describing himself as the thing which satisfies, reminds us of both his mercy and his power. He says, of those that the Father gives to me, I lose none of them. If you are in Christ, Christian, you are confidently in his hand. And you cannot be plucked out. And at the same time, Jesus says to those who may feel unworthy about the Lord's love for them, if you do truly come to Jesus, he will certainly not cast you out. It's not enough for you to understand the Lord's mercy and trust that God is merciful to you and not at the same time have a revelation of his power. Because if you just believe in his mercy, you think, oh, well, God, God still loves me, and yet you are still under the weight of, of, of sin. You're still in Egypt, as it were. And getting a revelation, a true understanding of both Jesus' mercy, in that he will not cast you out, and his power, in that he will bring, uh, bring you to himself, he will certainly deliver you. And that understanding is, is very, very important for your daily spiritual walk. In verse 40, Jesus describes how you eat true spiritual food. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. In verse 41, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. This is exactly what the Israelites were doing to Moses. And these, these Jews here who were hearing Jesus in the midst of going back and forth between understanding what he's saying and yet being offended at the same time, they begin to grumble and say, how can you come down from heaven? We know where you're from. They were questioning the virgin birth and the doctrine of the incarnation that Jesus 
existed before his birth. He says, I am the bread which came down from heaven, but that happened back when uh, these Jews, as they say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And so Jesus is, is claiming in this to not only be the one that the Father has sent to be the sustenance and the source of all true spiritual life, but he is also at the same time declaring that he existed before his birth. And they stumble at this. They say, "How we know where you're from. We've, seen, we've met your father and we, we've met your mother. We saw you grow up as a boy. We, we know where you're from. They, in the midst of understanding what he's saying, they stumble in unbelief and they, they doubt. But Jesus rebukes their unbelief. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. If the father is truly drawing you, you will know that you know God because you come to Jesus Christ. And in that process, Jesus is saying that he's the one who's bringing you to himself. In verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Literally, it means they all shall be taught from God. Jesus is describing himself as the fulfillment of this prophecy, that he is the one who would teach them specifically. That is, this phrase means that they all, the, the people of God, will be taught by God himself. And Jesus is interpreting this phrase for them, and at the same time saying, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy. Everyone who has learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. And then Jesus, this is one of the I am sayings that we saw last week. I am the bread of life. Jesus explains and connects what he's teaching these people to what happened in the wilderness. In verse 49, Jesus begins with, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, we know that he's not talking about physical death, because he was just saying in the previous verses that I will raise them up on the last day. He just explained that they'll still physically die. He's talking about spiritual death here. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I also the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" You see, the Jews were not allowed to eat the flesh of certain animals. They were only allowed to eat a select portion. And in the midst of eating animals, they were always, it was an unwritten element of the law that you weren't allowed to murder, and you, it would be totally incongruent with Judaism to allow for cannibalism. And so what Jesus is doing is he is making his teaching more offensive to, to their natural mind to, to draw out and to bring, bring out from among this mixed multitude those who the Father was really drawing to Christ. He highlights the difference between spiritual food and natural food, but some of them don't understand that he's talking about two different things, and they stumble on this teaching. In verse 53, Jesus begins to tie this to what he would do in establishing the practice of communion in the church. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in yourselves. This is extremely offensive to them because they could eat the flesh of any animal, but they could never drink the blood of any animal. It was always prohibited no matter what type of animal it was. Verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And here is where Jesus is saying to you as a believer or unbeliever, anyone who hears this, he says, I am the thing that satisfies. The things that you hunger and thirst for, the things that you're running to in the midst of your Christian walk or in while you're exploring who Jesus is, he says that those things will not satisfy, but rather, verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 57, as the living father has sent me and I live because of the father, so he who eats of me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Forever. So my admonition to us this morning is that Jesus Christ is the true food. He is the all-soul-satisfying joy, life, and peace, fellowship, and friendship that you and I long for and need daily. We were created by God for communion with God, and that takes place through us beholding and believing Jesus Christ. We eat in faith by a number of different things, both prayer, reading the Bible, etc. But rather than this be just another call to spiritual disciplines, if you do those things and yet you don't understand or commune with Christ in the midst of them, you'll find that even those are empty. So there's a warning in the midst of sending someone to go pray more and to go read the Bible more. If you do it just because you think it's a duty, you won't find him there. But if you do it knowing that he is confident or he is confident that he is faithful to reveal himself to you in the midst of it, you'll find him there and he will be precious and sweet to you. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the soul satisfying uh, source for our life. We ask you that in this celebration of communion today, that we would feast on Jesus, that we would behold and believe in him, that we would not stumble on the teaching of Christ that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, but that your spirit would open our minds to the wisdom of God, that is, that you have provided for our spiritual needs in the person and work of Jesus. God, we ask you that we would be mindful every time that we eat physical food that we need to daily eat spiritual food and behold and believe in Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you, God, that you would build in us a biblical mindset to see Jesus in the Old Testament. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.